First impressions of three Suns newcomers, plus one extra, who we were not expecting to talk about. Damon Allred of Bright Side of the Sun joins me today to close out the week, talking all the new guys on the Suns. Catch it in just one sec, here on Locked on Suns. Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. I'm your host, Brendan Clean, credentialed media member covering the Suns the past five seasons. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen every single morning. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's Locked On Suns. Listen to us on whatever audio platform you prefer. We are free. We are here for you every single day. And if you would like to follow us on social media, that is at Locked On PHX Suns, at Brendan Clean 14 for me. As I said, Damon Allred is our guest today, coming back to uh, give some spice, give some takes on the Suns newcomers. Damon, how are you doing? How have you enjoyed the first week of Suns basketball? Good. I've actually not really been to skies falling like a lot of people have been, so ready to get into it. Nuance. It's it's uh, it's a wonderful thing. We are going to do uh, four guys today. Landry Shamit, JaVale McGee, Abdul Nader, and Alfred Payton. Uh, wasn't planning on talking about Alfred Payton. I don't think that's one that we had brainstormed on. I'm not sure how many new thoughts there necessarily are, but in terms of how he fits here, it's been a little bit interesting now with campaign out with that right hamstring strain. We've seen pain, uh, Payton for two games now, Damon, but let's start with Landry Shamit. He is the newly extended four year, $43 million man. He has started the season in a way that he actually just said at practice has not been super fulfilling to him. And he's a little down on his own performance. I'll give the stats before we talk. He's 53% from the field, 60% from deep, but um, not super content with himself so far. What have you made of the former Wichita State man's early going here for the Suns? Yeah, I think he's deferred a lot. Um, I think he's in the preseason, he was really just going for it all with his own game. And I think in the regular season so far, he's kind of deferred more and played more within the offense as opposed to, I'm going to go out here and get mine. I'm the spark plug off the bench. And there were a couple instances um, during the Kings game, especially when he would uh, have like an open, or not open, but like a decent look and then pass it up to, like I remember one instance where he would pass it to Alfred Payton, who had a contested shot that was just as contested as his own. But if you're going to pick a contested shot from one of those two guys, you're going to want it from Landry. So I think he's been yeah. passing up a lot more than he should be. Do you? Th- I wonder if that comes in part from his career trajectory, where he's landed in all these places where he seemingly didn't have the trust of the coaching staff and the trust of his teammates. I have to feel like that affects a guy when it's like, yeah, I mean, the Suns want their shooters to shoot, right? I mean, they were even talking about that yesterday. That's been a big problem for them overall. It's why they're getting, you know, good but not great shots. It's why they're having so many turnovers and just losing control of the pace of these games. I'm sure Landry will learn that in time, but I think you're right that he has been hesitant and I just I feel like it has to come in some part from just coming off of a season with the Nets where it's like am I even going to play tonight and and the Clippers trading him and the Sixers trading him and 
maybe it is just that acclimation to like, no, I'm like, I'm good. I'm, I'm home right now. This is a good situation for me. Um, so I don't think he's been bad on offense. It'd be kind of impossible to say that, but he also really hasn't had the sort of big playmaking scoring nights that we saw in preseason, like you were saying, where he was playing really loose. He was taking a bunch of shots. He was throwing the ball around. He was turning the ball over a lot as well, but just felt more comfortable. Um, the thing that jumped out to me that I, I didn't expect to talk about when we planned this out, but happened in that Kings game as well, is that he almost, he basically closed the game. Um, Chris Paul had one of his worst performances as a son last night. The closing lineup had Shamit in there instead of Chris Paul from about the six minute mark to about the one and a half minute mark when CP3 came back in to engineer the last few possessions. And Monty said that that was really a result of feeling more comfortable with their ability to switch against the Kings with Shamit in there. So, I mean, honestly, that's probably more of a Chris Paul conversation than it is a Landry Shamit conversation, unfortunately, for Chris Paul and the Suns defense. But what have you made of Shamit's defense overall this season? And do you feel like we might see him be a defensive upgrade more often, as strange as that is to say? Over Chris Paul, yeah, for sure. I think he's an upgrade. Just because he he does a better job of staying in front of guys, and he is a little bit longer. And so I think that that provides him with a lot more uh, margin for error. And yeah, I just think he's more interruptive, disruptive with his hands than Chris Paul is a lot of the time at this point in his career. I think Chris Paul generally wants to just keep the status quo on defense, not really bother too much or get in anybody's way, per se. Okay, this is an unrelated question, but people on YouTube can see me messing with my headphones. You have glasses, and you don't seem to have any struggles with headphones. How do you, what is the magic here? Because I put <laughs> them on, and then my glasses get screwed up. I don't know. What do you do? Tell me the, tell me the secret. It goes glasses, and then headphones, and I found that the headband helps a little bit too, just to keep the glasses in place. But the headband is not a product of the headphones. It's just a product of the long hair and wanting to yeah. keep it out of my face. See, <laughs> I think a head I think a headband for me without the longish hair would would just be an odd accessory. I'm not sweating, so it's like yeah. <laughs> what do you do? I don't know. I I will uh, I'll continue to workshop it. Maybe I need to ditch the over the head headphones they i feel like they look better like i'm on youtube this looks like i'm doing a podcast head head bud earbuds that looks like i'm i'm doing something else at the same time i have like a podcast going in my ears while i'm recording my own so anyway yeah. <laughs> um very unimportant to landry Shamit, but uh let's get back to him because the thing that the thing that that made me think and again it's probably more of a chris paul conversation than it than it is a Landry Shamit conversation. It's probably Payne would have been the guy closing the game in place of Paul if he was healthy. It's just a one game sample. I'm not going to read too much into it. I've been a little bit, I would say, disappointed in Shamit's on-ball defense relative to what I was expecting and a little bit more impressed by his team defense than I was expecting. He's in the right places. He's already pretty smart in terms of rotating. The Suns are a pretty aggressive help team. They play small. They have to be good and efficient and effective on their rotations. Monty and Jay Crowder talked a lot about overhelping last night against the Kings. So it's not to say that their defense overall has been great, but he's not been a, a weak link in terms of, you know, 
rotating, Xing out, all the zoning up on the backside, all these nerdy things we like to talk about with defense. He's done them. The on ball, though, I've been a little bit worried by, and my our sort of dreams of like, oh, could he be, you know, a fifth, the fifth guy on the floor in a in a closing lineup where Bridges is the four and Booker's the three and and Shamit's out there and could it give the Suns another look? For talking first impressions, I've been probably less ex- a little less bullish on the idea that Shamit can actually survive without getting picked on. They were they've been doing it to him already in just the regular season, trying to get him on an island after a switch. So that worries me a little bit. Yeah, so with that lineup that you were mentioning, I know you talked about Payne probably being in that spot if he were healthy. But I also do love just the the point book lineup going back to the old days before Chris Paul, where it's book, Aiton, and a ton of wings. Because I, I think it gives you so much speed and length across the floor to be able to run. And when you're running, it kind of turns the amount of half-court defense possessions down to kind of make up for the opportunities where teams can pick on a guy. Like if you're just running all the time, then you're going to have guys in the passing lanes. Like it'll be okay. You're not going to get picked on as much. No, that's true. Um, I don't think like I'm so worried that I, I think he like wouldn't be part of a playoff rotation or something like that, but just maybe like 10% worse than I was kind of imagining him to be there and maybe 10% better team defense-wise. Any final thoughts on Landry before we move on to JaVale here? No, it's good for me. Yeah, he's been probably, you know, on the whole, pretty much what you would expect. I do think we'll see some of those big scoring nights from him, especially while, we, you know, it was game one without Cameron Payne. Well, game two, but game one after they went into the game really knowing they weren't going to have him. And already you can see that Shamit is far more preferred on Mon- in Monty Williams' rotation than Alfred Payton. I think that will continue. I think he'll see the biggest, minute, biggest minutes boost from Payne's injury, and we could just see, you know, a 20-point night, a, a night where he makes four, five, six threes. I think that he's a, a really, really solid addition to what this team wants to do on the offensive end, and the, the defense is holding up. We'll get to JaVale McGee in just one second here. First, though, guys, a quick word from McDonald's. Proudly serving communities since 1965, McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect. A place where classmates can meet up for a study group, knowing they'll have dependable Wi-Fi and an endless supply of French fries and McFlurries. I don't know if you guys are a mix of the two, a dip in the McFlurry. I know that's how some people do it. It might get messy if you're trying to do the study group thing, but... Win or lose, it's a place also where teammates, competitors, home team, or away team can come to recharge. It's also the place where you can always look forward to stopping on a long road trip. What's what's your favorite McDonald's memory, Damon? What's what's the like go-to? I'm in this life situation, and I know I'm going to end up at a McDonald's. Sometimes you just need the battery acid of a, a large Sprite. <laughs> and oh, it's yeah. nice that, that they is keep all the sizes the same true. price. <laughs> Battery acid in the in the absolute best sense of that word. Exactly. Um, any, t- any TikTok lovers will will know the the spiciness of the of the sprite there. Um, delicious fuel, late night, early morning, midday, whatever it might be. Um, it's one of those things where you convince yourself it's quenching your thirst, even if it may not be. It's that delicious. So head to your local McDonald's the next time that you need that fuel, the next time you need that battery juice and refuel and reconnect. 
McDonald's. I'm loving it. JaVale McGee, I feel bad almost, Damon, doing this check-in on JaVale so soon after I kind of, I didn't kind of, I criticized him quite a bit last night coming off that Kings game. And it was just the culmination to me of a game uh, of a of a start to the season where he just doesn't look like he's fitting in right now. Is has been my big sort of big picture read on him. And the question that I kind of posed to the audience that I wasn't necessarily I didn't have a great answer to is why he looks so out of sorts. Maybe you disagree. I mean, let me know, but considering he played for the Warriors. Like, this is not a player who has never been in a system where he's being asked to do some of these things in terms of distributing, dribble handoff, finding the right man, ball reversal. Like, having the ball and having to be a passer at the center position is a skill some players don't have, but I feel like he does have that. So do you feel like, are you seeing those same concerns and why do you think that's happening? No, yeah, I feel like you're totally right to be critical, especially after that Kings game. Um, I think in the first half alone, there were three or four just dumb turnovers, like Shaq and a fool type turnovers. He airballed <laughs> a floater as well. Yeah. Um, a lot of silly fouls too. And I just think that it might've been just an off game because I think he's certainly been better than that through the first three games. Um, but as far as him kind of being that guy that can duplicate what Aiton brings to an extent, as far as archetype, but obviously not to the same level. Um, I think it it didn't go very well last night, to say the least. Yeah, he, so far this season, extremely small sample. So, like, trust me when I say that I know that. Um, 54 minutes played, so take it with an absolute grain of salt. But this is a First Impressions episode. He's turning the ball over almost 24 times per 100 plays that the Suns run on offense. So he's been a turnover machine. I mean, you'd look at it and say it's only eight through four games, but he's barely been on the floor. He doesn't even crack 20 minutes in any of these games. So eight turnovers in in 54 minutes is, is just bad, especially because, yes, I was just saying he has the ball in his hands maybe more than your typical center would, but it's not like he's a point guard, right? It's not like he's initiating offense and, and dribbling the life out of the ball every time he's He's got it. He's he's making quick decisions and somehow still turning the ball over that much. So the offense clearly a work in progress. I don't necessarily worry that much. His role is still very small. I definitely would not say he's been the reason they've lost any of his games. His decisions just need to be better. He needs to get more comfortable. He needs to get more patient has been the, the word that I've used for him. But what do you think of the defense? Um, he's probably more of a one-to-one comparison for Aiton on defense than he is on offense. Yeah, I think he's been able to do a lot of good things defensively. Sometimes his rotations are a little bit too reckless coming off of the weak side. And we've talked a lot about, everyone in the Suns community has talked a lot about how he ends up on the floor just way too much for someone who's that big. (laughs) He's so clumsy. And I just think that if he can stay on the ground some more, Maybe not jump as much. Like, we talked a lot about how Aiton in the playoffs was so good at defending without fouling. If some of that can rub off on McGee, I think that would help him a lot. Yeah, I mean, I kind of said this with Shaman, and understanding it is too early to make anything definitive. Do you feel 
like, let's just say this is the version. Let's say, okay, he's not going to turn the ball over like a maniac all season long. He's never been is uh, uh, for a full for a full season. He's never turned the ball over more than 17 percent of the time. And that was for 80 minutes. Like it, it's it's never been this bad. So that's not going to happen. He'll probably settle in a little bit. But let's say roughly this is the type of guy that they're getting this season. Um, maybe a little worse than he was for the Lakers and Warriors, but not terrible. Do you feel better or worse about the quote unquote like backup center hole being filled? Yeah, I mean, even with the mistakes he was having last night, it's still generally better than what you're going to get out of a guy like Kaminsky. And it's still better as a true five than what you're going to get out of like a Dario Saric, just as far as being that presence or that presence down low on both ends. Like he's still getting a lot of dunks on offense just out of like really nice passes from guards. Like I remember a few specifically from Shamit and Paul where he's just standing in the dunker spot and he is able to get really good positioning and finish from there. So I think it's still better than what you're going to get from your other options. Yeah, that's probably fair. I, I think you're right. I mean, it's better than Damian Jones. Certainly it's yeah. better than it's better than most um, Frank Kaminsky would be in most matchups. So I agree. I'm not willing to like write it off or say that they somehow need to try to upgrade this position or anything like that. I think he's been about what you would expect, especially considering nobody could be pot could could possibly be quite as clumsy as he has been. He's still a guy who's going to bite on pump fakes and and probably take maybe a shot or two a game that you're scratching your head out. But teams have won with him in the past, and I guess that's where I fall. Is like the Suns are still going to be able to make up for that, but you. When we logged on, said you had takes for me, and I feel like I haven't, I haven't given you the proper space to unleash. So, do you have like we're we're almost through Shaman and McGee? You got to have something juicy, or is it is it a really just fire Abdul Nader take that that I'm that I'm gonna get in the next segment? What's going on? Um, it's actually on the same lines as first impressions. First impression of Mikhail, the third option, was okay. Where it was, if you're cool with that. Let's take a quick break. You teased it beautifully. So let's uh, let's get right to it. First, though, guys, a quick word from Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. My favorite protein bar. Built Bar likes to say the healthiest candy bar ever. I had number two of two of my pumpkin puff Built Bar that will be a limited time offering this fall. It was delicious. I love it. The puff ones are interesting. They still have the chocolate and they're still kind of like they have that consistency because, you know, the protein's in there, but they're they're like marshmallowy. They're chewy. It's delicious. It's one it, one of a kind, one at a time. They only do this every so often, but the pumpkin one I highly recommend. Of course, there's always the classic favorites like my personal favorite double chocolate. They got fruit like raspberry and strawberry that you can try out. Cherry, barcia, as the pun goes, of course, as well. But they're all going to be packed with protein, all going to be low sugar, low calorie, giving you that same delicious chocolate-covered protein-packed treat that you have come to love and know if you listen to this show. I don't really know what you're doing if you haven't tried Built Bar before and you've been listening to me tell you how delicious it is for all these years. So go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15 when you make your purchase to get a 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off to try your Built Bar at Built.com. BetOnline.ag is the best place to make a bet basketball or football they have a new web interface for you guys to get you ready for the basketball season not only 
for the NBA season, but women's basket, women's college basketball, men's college basketball coming up as well. More props, odds, and lines than ever before at Bet Online. It remains your number one spot all football and basketball season long. So head to that new website or download their mobile app. Make an account, and when you do, use the promo code Locked On to get a fifty percent. Welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's promo code locked on when you make your first deposit to get a 50% welcome bonus straight to your account from basketball, football, baseball, NHL, boxing, UFC, to even your favorite Vegas casino games. If betting on games and season odds and all that isn't your thing, just play some games. Bet Online has you covered there as well. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers all year long. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Okay, Damon teased it. I'll give you the floor, sir. Mikhail Bridges, third option. Your first impressions, good, bad, indifferent, thumbs up, thumbs down. What you got for me? Yeah, so let me preface it with a couple things. First off, um, this is obviously on a very, very small sample size through four games. Um, but Booker is averaging 32 minutes a game right now, which would be on pace for his lowest since his rookie year. Um, that's obviously due to the things like the deep playoff run and then immediately going to the Olympics and then catching COVID as soon as training camp starts. So they're easing him back in, which totally makes sense. I'm not saying he should be playing more right now. Um, he's also on track for the lowest field goal percentage and second lowest three point percentage of his career. So they're just easing him back, which is totally fine. Um, the second thing I want to preface it with is that um, coming into the season, I was not super high on the idea that Mikhail could be that go-to third option. I was higher on Cam Johnson being able to do that, who's obviously come out super cold so far and hasn't gotten too many on-ball opportunities at all. So I'll eat crow on that one. Um, but yeah, so the take is this. Mikael Bridges, quarters one through three, should be the second on-ball option behind Chris Paul. And then in the fourth quarter, then you can have it be more Paul and Booker give and take. You should have had me put like a cold, like a wet rag on my forehead before you, like (laughs) I should have come into the podcast with that instead of the headphones we were talking about. I should have just let you take the wheel and and take a sauna bath. That was, uh, I don't hate it. I guess to me, if we're talking first impressions on Mikhail Bridges as a third option, I've been a little disappointed in the kind of hesitancy and lack of confidence still. And it's, I don't know, like sometimes when I, maybe I'm being my most pessimistic self on this, I kind of feel like we're so quick to say, you know, if we haven't seen it from DeAndre yet, will we ever, right? It's like we can continue to dream that he can make a play like Joel Embiid, but really there's not a lot of evidence of that. So I get at Villanova, we did see evidence of this with Mikhail. So there is that track record. But at the same time, he's just about as, as sort of hesitant and deliberate about attacking and and getting to his spots and keeping the ball instead of giving it up as... Aiton is hesitant about the things we want to see out of him. I So that's been it for me. Like, I don't know if that's too negative, but that's been my thing is like, you, you see space in front of him in the open floor, he passes the ball. You see this opportunity to tackle close out. He did have a nice free throw line jumper that I talked up quite a bit on the recap show last night, 
But aside from that, I do feel like we've just still, still seen that reticence to just really go into attack mode. And it's it's been three years. Like, is that just not a player he's going to be? That's what I wonder. Yeah, so to your point, um, when he gets the ball in those op- opportunities to really take it to the rim or just decide what to do with it, it seems like he's always 50-50 at, like, at first. But then once he decides to go, and I think it would help if Monty is just telling him more often, just go. Like, just mm-hmm. do what the defense is giving you. Once he goes, he is lethal from what I've seen on ball. Like, mm-hmm. when he gets to that nail, I can't remember seeing more than two or three misses so far this year. And I've seen, like, nine or ten makes from that area. And he's still really good at playmaking out of that nail area as well. Finding shooters, finding Aiton, even. So I think the more the more times he's able to run that, the the better it's going to be. Yeah, usage rate for him up from 14.9% last season to almost 19% so far this season. The magical number for usage, depending on how you, I mean, it's not foolproof, but if you think everybody on the floor is one-fifth of, of the offense, that 20% threshold is really the kind of the, the demarcator of like high usage versus low usage as just a, a nice baseline. So he's still below that, but he clearly has become a more aggressive overall player. So I do, of course, agree with you. I think he's a guy that could really use some like, the you know, we talked about it a lot like during the, um, the Jordan documentary of like the ways in which he would just man- manufacture chips on his shoulder I think you see sometimes when Mikhail's able to like get a, a dunk off of a cut or a transition finish, the the lob dunk that he had when the Suns tied the game against the Kings in transition off of the Booker steal. Those moments, he has that fire, right? Like it's I'm not saying he's a player who can't like pump himself up or get the momentum that he needs as a as a scorer. It's just that he doesn't have it often enough. And so maybe I shouldn't be so so you know negative about his ability to get to that point because we do see it it's just in such small little glimpses so I don't know what it's going to take for him to really put that all together um but I love the take I don't disagree with you that the Suns just continuing to like artificially create balance in their offense is a bad thing I will take a little bit of a victory lap if we're doing first impressions in this category because I did say that managing minutes and trying to create that balance in the offense could result in some losses. A lot of people did not want to hear that. I'm still taking the over. I still predicted that they'll win. I think I said 54 games, so I think they're going to be great. I don't think one in three is going to be the winning percentage that they track for all year, but this is the type of growing pain that happens. If you're going to let Mikhail Bridges do some of this stuff, you're going to win less games because he's not as good of a second option as Devin Booker is or as Chris Paul is or even as like Cameron Payne is, frankly. So that's what's going to happen. So um, I, I would be totally on board to hear to see more of, of what I am hearing from you there. Let's get to Alfred Payton and Abdul Nader, though. Uh, just a little bit of time on those guys. Abdul Nader, I don't have a lot to say other than that he's been very disappointing. I think his on-ball defense that Monty talks up so often has not been good. I don't think he's really been much of a stopper whatsoever on those players. His shot's not going in. He's not getting downhill the same way that we all got accustomed to seeing even last year before the injury. So I don't know if it's just returning from that ACL injury, if it is something else that he's just 
being exposed more, playing higher minutes, but I think it's very telling that Cameron Payne goes out, Alfred Payton steps into the rotation, and Nader's already at five minutes. Yeah. Um, one thing that Monty's preached a lot when talking about Nader is just the the process that he goes about such things like driving to the rim or playing hard on defense, because I don't think anyone's going to argue that he at least plays hard on both ends. And whether that results in good things is another story, but he he certainly has the right process that Monty's looking for um, most of the time. Yeah, I think it's it's why, it, I mean, it's it's probably the best explanation as to why Monty continues to trust him. I mean, he does what is asked of him, right? I mean, he get he, he tries to drive. I don't think his handle is good enough for him to actually make a play attacking a closeout. I think that's a huge problem. It's like, yeah, he might put his body in the direction of the basket a lot. And I'm probably being too mean because I'm getting kind of sarcastic. But like, it's... It's just, it doesn't work because the skill level's not there. And so that's probably why you saw him get on the floor in the conference finals, why he's part of the rotation now. I'm a culprit as much as anybody. So like, this is a, a mea culpa a little bit. I was talking him up. It was, it was a joke last year. It was pretty serious this year that I really thought he could be a pretty big difference maker. That just hasn't happened. Um, Alfred Pate, 38 minutes, one three-point attempt. That's not going to cut it in this offense. We're talking about not generating enough threes. I'm sure he's generated some threes off of his passing, but the shot selection is all, I mean, it just, I don't know. We don't need to act surprised about this. Alfred Payton has always been a player who takes questionable shots and, and doesn't always work into the rhythm of the offense. He, even as a starter last year for a surprising Knicks team, was very, very negative in terms of impacting their team statistically. So I don't think he's going to kill the Suns. It's kind of similar to JaVale McGee where he can, probably play 15 to 20 minutes and they have the talent to make it work. It's not as if it's the end of the world, but I think I've seen a lot of what I thought that we would see, which is just a below average role player who probably won't be in the rotation come playoff time. Generating threes off passes. What passes? <laughs> the guy does not pass. <laughs> it's true. It's he true. He puts his head down and he drives and that's all he does. Yep. Which yep. He's uh, he's he's Mr. Triple Double, but I think that that uh, that that might be more a uh, product of stat chasing than actual um, interest in creating for his teammates. Yeah, he's he's got the Houston Rockets assist strategy of passing it with four seconds left on the shot clock to yeah. ensure himself an assist. <laughs> he should be on the Lakers. It sounds like. Yeah, not, that, I'm not, really that was well. not a LeBron dig. Much more of a Russ <laughs> dig than a LeBron dig. To be clear, um, I got some some feedback, some fans who enjoyed my LeBron rant after he was yelling at Cameron Payne. So I don't want it to come across like I've developed a a vendetta against the player who I like watching probably more than anybody else. But yeah, I mean Payton is a player who um, just doesn't add a lot. And I was complimenting Landry Shamit's team defense and the kind of seamless way that he's fit in. And Cameron Payne was a complete revelation in terms of the ability to defend at such a high level right away after I mean I don't even get that but Peyton is the opposite he he's not really somebody who's going to make a big difference in terms of you know containing as a as a as a part of a unit his on-ball defense like yeah if there's five seconds left on a shot clock he's quite quick cans he's pretty strong like it'll work out fine because that's he's an NBA player and that's what happens but 
He's going to get caught on screens. He's he's not going to be, you know, in the right place necessarily to create advantageous situations. I just think, look, we probably already given too much time to this. At this point, you're counting down the days, I think, if you're a Suns fan until he's no longer playing and, and Cameron Payne is back and healthy. I do think it's a better, I, I would like, let me ask you this. Do you think he's at least like a better option than an Etuan Moore? If they were going to keep him versus signing Peyton, what would you have done? I mean, to, to Peyton's credit, he's certainly at least an average point of attack defender. And I think the other, was it the Blazers game where he was getting run with Chris Paul? And yeah. it was exclusively to ensure that Paul didn't have to play point of attack defense. Yeah. And so, I mean, he does that better than Chris Paul, but does that probably better than Etwan Moore would have been doing. Um, obviously not as well as campaign or Mikhail Bridges does, but when he's the third string point guard, it's pretty dang good point of attack defense for what you're getting. Yeah, that's fair. I, I don't think he's again. Yeah. I think that's the best way to put it. He's, he's not going to kill them. Um, but I also just, he is the type of player that I just don't really like to watch. <laughs> I did. That's fair. That type of guy is just, it's not, it's not appealing basketball to me, but also, I mean, at the end of the day too, there's been a lot of criticism about pace so far. And that was even a thing last season. We heard from the team, how often Willie green was, was hollering at them to push the tempo and Peyton will do that. Right. So I think there are some positives to what he is, but he's proven out for many, many years in the NBA to be a negative player. And the fit that he was going to have in Phoenix didn't make sense from the jump. I think it was a fair thing to question from the minute that he was signed, and it's still fair to question now. So um, backup point guard, not not the worst you can do, but it's, it's, not, uh, it's, it's definitely not seamless by any means. Okay, um, quickly, I did not give you the heads up here, but... Um, you are you are a movie person. Uh, we 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 have yes. connected about film <laughs> in the past. Yes. So I think I did this a couple of times ago, and I'll give you the floor here. Um, I don't know. We we need a name for this segment, but let let us know what we should be watching. My last movie, mostly out of a time crunch, was Venom. Let there be carnage. So I'm the last person that should be giving anybody advice about what to see because I think that people should probably not see that movie. But let us know. Like tell it? us what. Tell us what. It was fine. Um, <laughs> it was Woody fun. Harrelson was was uh, an they odd were just casting going decision. For it. They were. They were very much going for it. I don't know if any of the plot. <laughs> Do you? Okay, no. I'll I'll stop talking. You tell me what movies people should watch. You tell our audience what to watch here. Um, I'm gonna go a little Aaron Rodgers when he was spelling out relax, and spell it out for you. D U N E, Dune. A visual spectacle, quite possibly the the best visual movie I've ever seen in my life. Really? Wow. Yes. Denis Villeneuve is undefeated in that in that category. And quickly after I watched Dune, I watched Dune again on HBO Max because it's on HBO Max as well. Mm -hmm. I saw it in theaters at first because it was just an experience I needed to have. And then as soon as I was done with Dune on HBO Max, I went over to Hulu. Uh, enough free ads. Don't know why I'm saying these. Um, to watch Arrival, which was uh, that other. Had Denis you never Villeneuve. seen Arrival? No, that was my first time. Oh my god, Arrival I know, is I so good. I'm so disappointed that it took me five years to see it, but it's probably Amy Adams's best work. 
and it's one of the best written stories in a movie that I can remember. Just yeah, I mean it, it's like pretty much unparalleled in terms of the vision to pull off what they try to do in that movie in Arrival. Yeah. But we're not talking about Arrival. I guess people can watch both. But the pain. Yeah, I'm insane. excited to see Dune. I'm excited to see Dune. Is it? What I heard is that it wasn't very forthcoming in terms of story because they knew part two was coming. Is that true? Like, is it kind of a stage setter more so than like a a full piece? A stage setter, yes. Definitely not a full, complete story. But it, I don't think it's to its detriment at all. Like, it shows you in the title card at the beginning, Dune Part One. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone going into this experience should know that they're not going to get a full resolution. But I mean and this isn't a spoiler, but it, it ends with a line, this is just the beginning. And I think that that works for it. Like, I was super excited. I got chills when it was said because everything looked beautiful. It felt tied together for the two and a half hours that it spent. And so, yeah, I'm really looking forward. And part two was just greenlit the other day. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking forward to it. A new era of of Dune love um, that will grace us in two years. Uh, we'll we'll get through watching the first one one time, and then the second one will come out. I think is is how they map that out. What you it's think. like a it's like a three hour movie. Um, yes, I will. I will definitely. I'll I'll have you back on, and we can talk about it. I'm probably. I don't even know. I don't know what I'm seeing yet. I have too much going on, and I still haven't even seen the Bond movie, which is also too long. But oh, it um, is definitely too long. <laughs> yes. I think that good. is on the agenda for tomorrow, Friday. So I'll be taking advantage of a no podcast day to go see that. But he is Damon Allred. Read him at Bright Side of the Sun for all of his son's coverage. And that's it for the week, folks. I will be back with you to recap the Cavs game and have some other thoughts on Monday. Until then, enjoy the weekend and uh, go Cardinals. We'll see if they can pull it off here on Thursday night and keep the good times rolling here in Arizona sports. Thanks, folks.